when I was uh, in publishing, my boss called me into his office one day, and when I got there, he, was, uh, he held up a copy of the latest issue of the magazine I was supervising or over, and he kind of dropped it on his desk like that, which I did not take as a good sign. <laughs> and he said, this cover story did not work at all. And I hadn't written it, my staff member had, but it was on my watch. So I, I took my lumps and I left the, his office. And about two weeks later, a restructuring was announced in which, surprise, surprise, I was no longer over that magazine. And uh, of course that stung, but my boss made me face a hard truth about myself which was this, and it took me a while to get to this, because initially I had a lot of things I wanted to say, thoughts of <laughs> defending myself and explaining what, what the situation was, et cetera, et cetera. But the real truth was, I didn't like the cover story much either. But I had let it go through because the staff member writing it was very committed to it, loved it, was all excited about it, and I knew if I said, sorry, we're pulling the plug on this, there would be a hard conversation. There would be conflict around that. And it was easier for me to avoid the conflict than to tell that person the truth. So the fact is, I failed to lead well because I was people-pleasing. And I realized, you know, if, if I'm going to be the kind of leader that I hope to be, I'm going to have to work on this. This is going to have to change. And I've, I've gone to work on it. But it is very hard, is it not? to face into the real and the hard truth about ourselves, That's very difficult. Uh, I don't know if maybe you've had a coach tell you you're not going to make the cut, or a play director say, sorry, uh, no room for you in the show, or whatever. I have. Or maybe you've had a friend or a counselor or someone you had in your life who said, can I share with you how you really come across? I've had that too. And those are, those are tough moments. But throughout life, we all get these occasional calls to face into the truth about ourselves, a truth that we would prefer not to actually really look at. Uh, and that not only happens to us as individuals, it happens to us as the people of God. Sometimes God has to come and say to his people, you know, you say I'm your God. You say you love me, but you're actually ignoring my word and you're doing things I hate. Something's got to change. You've got to change. And when that moment comes, when God speaks to us through his word or through the prophets or our conscience, when the truth is revealed to us, it will always be easier to ignore that and keep moving than it is to do the hard work and say, of admitting, yeah, we're, we gotta work on this. This is a real issue. And, uh, and take the necessary steps to change it. Now, friends, I know your heart. I know you're here because you love God and you wanna be closer to him. Well, then this is a principle for every one of us. And it is this, and you can count on it, if we want to draw close to God, we must learn how to face the hard truth about ourselves. If we do not want to become hypocrites in our faith, 
we have to face the hard truths about ourselves. And if we do not want to come under the judgment of God, we must face the hard truth about ourselves. Now, to help us do that and learn about this, I don't know that there's a better person we could learn from, apart from Jesus himself, than the prophet Amos. Amos is the master at peeling it all back and calling out what's really there. Uh, People didn't like him at the time. His ministry only lasted actually a few months before he was thrown out of the country he went to. Um, And his book in the Bible often gets ignored now for the very same reasons. But I want us all to try to lean in and learn from Amos over these next weeks. And so let's uh, first get oriented to his world so you can kind of understand all these place names and confusing things in tonight's reading. All right. So this is ancient Israel, about um, 760 years before the time of Christ. All right, we got a large body of water right here. Note the beautiful satellite imagery. <laughs> uh, friends, what is this? Mediterranean Sea, right. Okay, and by the way, can you see over there? Not very well. Oops. Okay, and what's this body of water right here? No, Dead Sea. Sea of Galilee's up here, and then the Jordan River connects them. All right. So during the time of David and Solomon, when the kingdom was in great shape, all of this land right here, all was belonging to the people of God. All the blue and all the dark green right here. But after the time of Solomon, it split. There was like a civil war, and the country split into two. And up here in the north was the country called Israel. And down here in the south was the country called Judah. Okay, that's why you get both names in tonight's reading. Judah's capital is Jerusalem, which is right about here. And Amos was born in a small town actually south of Jerusalem. And he was actually like a middle-class businessman. The word for him is not just like he was a shepherd. He was a manager of shepherds. He was running a sheep herding operation. And he also was not just, you know, pruning orchard trees in an orchard. He was actually running an orchard. So uh, anyway, as a middle-class business guy he gets this call to leave behind his own country and head north to Israel. He's down here. He's got to head north to Israel. Now, Israel broke off about 200 years earlier, and here's what they did. They said, we don't want all our people going back into enemy territory to go worship Yahweh in Jerusalem. That can't happen. So we need our own religion to sort of compete. So it was Yahweh plus. So they set up an altar up here at a place called Dan and one down here at a place called Bethel. And right here in their capital city, Samaria, they set up a temple to Baal, the god of storms. And he, his image would be erected with, the, he'd be holding, clutching like lightning bolts. Okay, he's kind of like Zeus. And then there was Asherah, 
the female fertility god with her ample thighs. Okay, so uh, he is called maybe as like one of the first missionaries in history to leave his country and go up here. And he's not going up there to like plant churches, work in seminaries. He's going up there to call these people to repent. He's like Jonah going to Nineveh. And he, he actually does it. So he leaves and goes up there. Um, all right. Nothing more we need there. All right. Let's, uh, let's look into our text tonight. You might want to open up to Amos 1 and 2. All right, starting in chapter 1 and verse 3. Oh, you can see all these other blanks, which I'll fill in the name of soon, are countries. So there's like eight countries all sort of pushed together, and they're constantly at war with one another. It's kind of like Europe before World War I or something like that. There's all these tensions uh, out on the borders. So the first one he mentions is Damascus. So, and notice that every time he calls out a country, he says, for, for three sins of, uh, even for four, meaning I'm calling out this country not because they had a one-time lapse, but this is like a repeated pattern. This is something I see in this country a lot. So the first one is Damascus. This is what the Lord says. That for three sins of Damascus, which is up here, so I'll put a big D for Damascus, even for four, I will not relent, because she threshed Gilead with sledges having iron teeth. Now, what does that mean? Gilead is this part of Israel on the east side of the Jordan River, and so Damascus came down here and invaded, but she didn't just do military invasion. It was like cruelty. It was overkill. It was unnecessary and merciless violence. And God is calling them out on that. He's saying, not okay. And so therefore, Hazael, who was the king and his descendants were all in the house of Hazael, they're going to suffer. And there will be judgment coming upon them, which God says, I will not relent. I will send fire. That's his way of saying judgment is coming to you, Damascus. All right, next he moves on to Gaza. Gaza's down here, right along the Mediterranean. And maybe I do need that map once in a while. All right. For three sins of Gaza, even for four, I will not relent because she took captive whole communities and sold them to Edom. All right, what happened here is she would come over here and attack Judah or attack Israel right here on the edge and she didn't just take POWs, which is always going to happen in wartime. There was nothing, a violation of either cultural or biblical law about taking some POWs. But what she would do is send armed thugs in to round up helpless villagers to make money and then sell them off to Edom and Edom's right here. So Edom, you need some slaves. We know where we can find them in our neighboring country, Israel. All right, so right now, as Amos is preaching, he's called out Damascus for attacking people in Israel, 
and he's called out Gaza for attacking people in Israel. So everybody he's listening to in the sermon is loving the sermon right now. They're like, yeah, get those guys, you know? They're loving it. All right, so Amos keeps going, verse 9. This is what the Lord says. For three sins of Tyre, even for four, I will not relent, because she sold whole communities of captives to Edom, disregarding a treaty of brotherhood. Okay, so uh, she's up here. This is uh, Tyre. It's up here along the Mediterranean coast. So she's done the exact same thing as Gaza, but she had a treaty with Israel that that wouldn't happen. So she's a, a treaty breaker. Okay, so that's extra. All right, moving on, verse 11. For three sins of Edom, down here, even for four, I will not relent, because he pursued his brother with the sword and slaughtered the women of the land because his anger raged continually and his fury flamed unchecked. There's the word brother there because Edom was started by Jacob's brother, Esau, also called Edom. So it's like Jacob, Esau. Come on, you guys have, you have this family connection and you're, you're killing them. And the, the sense here of pursued his brother with a sword is chased down every last soldier. So not to mention killed civilians. All right, we move on to Ammon, which is right out. Uh, sorry, this should have been here. Ammon is here. All right, for three sins of Ammon, even for four I will not relent, because, and I'm hard, sorry to have to read this, because he ripped open the pregnant women of Gilead in order to extend his borders. Now this is just brutality, savagery, and a war crime beyond all expression. All right, then uh, moving on to uh, Moab. For three sins of Moab, even for four, Moab's here, I will not relent. And what was Moab's thing? He burned to ashes the bones of Edom's king. It's not enough to kill the person now that you've desecrated the body. Is there nothing sacred to you? Do you have to really go that step? I, I, I found it interesting that in Wikipedia's discussion of the war crimes that were committed by some soldiers of our own army, tragically, and the CIA in, in Iraq, in the Abu Ghraib prison, some of you will remember that, not only was there you know, physical abuse, sexual humiliation, torture, there was desecration of a person's body. That is, God is saying, I see that, and that is not okay. I will bring fire on you for doing that. Okay, now at this point, six enemy nations have all been called to account. And if Amos had just stopped the sermon right here, everybody would have loved it. And it actually is very powerful. We could just pause here for a moment and say, what have we learned so far? Well, we know that God sees the actions of all people. These nations he's called out, they have no real history with the God of Yahweh, but he is the God of the nations, and he gave them a conscience. They know full well whether they would want that action done to themselves because they're both humans, created in the image of God. And so 
He sides with those who have suffered, with those who are most vulnerable, with those who have been violated and violenced. And God is good, so he will not tolerate that. He will bring judgment. His judgment is certain. But then Amos turns and he, he casts the spotlight on his own people back in Judah. And uh, let's see. So that's uh, verses 4 and 5 of chapter 2. For three sins of Judah, even for four, I will not relent, because they've rejected the law of the Lord, have not kept his decrees, because they've been led astray by false gods, the gods their ancestors followed. Now, when I first read this, I was taken aback. I thought, Lord, are you really equating disobedience to your law or idolatry to war crimes? But then, as I pondered that, I realized what happens when there's brutality in war, the most vulnerable suffer. And what happens when we disobey God's law, which is so clear? Take care of the widow, take care of the poor, take care of the orphan, take care of the immigrant. People suffer. Once again, it's always the most vulnerable suffering the most against themselves. It's the same thing, maybe not as severe, but it's the same thing. And what makes it severe in God's eyes and troubling and something he calls out is like, hey, you didn't just have your conscience. You had the revelation from my mouth on Sinai. You had the very words from me given to you and entrusted to you. I've sent you teachers. I've sent you prophets. You had everything. And did you do it? You know, today we might, we might ask similar things, like how well do we take care of the poor, the immigrant, and, and, and so on. According to nonprofit source, which is the name of an organization that tracks these things, U.S. Christians give 2.3% of their income to charitable causes. I wonder how much more the poor would be helped if we did better than 2.3. How much would they be helped if we focused a little less on buildings and a little more on money beyond, right? So the, these are still legitimate questions. We who have the word of God must pay attention now, the people in Israel are still loving the speech because he hasn't called out them. But he ain't done. Okay. Verse 6. This is what the Lord says. For three sins of Israel, even for four, I will not relent. They sell the innocent for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. They trample on the heads of the poor as on the dust of the ground and deny justice to the oppressed. I began studying what were some of the practices here, and basically it was ruthless loans. The person would be poor, they'd get behind on their loan, and the person, instead of giving them some more time to make a payment, instead of renegotiating the terms of the loan, would hard-heartedly foreclose. And the poor person didn't have enough money to get a lawyer to go to court, and if they did, the rich person knew the judge and was working at the same country club. It, it's exactly what you would expect, right? That's what was happening then. Today, we have things also that are kind of trampling on the heads of the poor. I don't know if you've understood what happens in U.S. mobile home communities. 
But the way, the way they work, a person buys a home there, usually meaning they took a mortgage on a home that will likely depreciate in value over time instead of appreciate. Okay. So they're already on the, under the hard side of this. Okay. But they don't own the land. So they have to pay lot fees every month to the owner of the land, the landlord. Well, the way it works is the, the lot fee goes, and I talked to somebody who, who actually helps pay for these and understands how it works. They go up every single year. Well, you, were all, you already didn't have a ton of money. So either in one year or 10 years, you can no longer afford the lot fees on your land. Well, what are you going to do? They need something to collect on the back do lot fees, and you can't afford to move it, move your home, because it takes thousands of dollars to move it. If you had the thousands of dollars, you wouldn't be behind on the lot fees. So you're either forced to sell to them usually, and then they sell it to somebody else and start the process all over, or there are certain jurisdictions where the, you, it can actually be seized, your home. In fact, Owning mobile home parks is so lucrative that a lot of the mom and pops who own them have been bought out by conglomerates who see the money potential there. Now, what would a prophet like Amos say? And in Israel, this is all happening despite the commands that they have in their scriptures, which if they still care to read, which says don't charge interest on loans to your own people. And by the way, every seventh year, you're going to release the debt anyway. If they did that, they wouldn't have this. Uh, verse 2, chapter 7. Let's move on. Um, how am I doing? Let's move on. All right. Father and son use the same girl and so profane my holy name. That is a household employee being taken advantage of. That is ugly. Um, and then let's skip on down to verse 11. I raised up prophets from among your children, and Nazarites, Nazarites were those who took a vow from birth to not cut their hair, not drink wine. It was like, I'm totally dedicating myself to God. Okay, and what did you do to them? Verse 12, you made the Nazarites drink wine. You took away their spiritual power by forcing them to violate their conscience and their commitments to God because they would prophetically indict you with their lives. So you said, we can't have that, so we're going to make you stop living a holy life life and you commanded the prophets to not to prophesy so because of all this amos says the lord is bringing judgment and you are going to have israel was actually doing quite well at this time they had one of the strongest armies in the region and uh home prices were going up on zillow man it was a good time for them and and amos says guess what if you don't change, if you don't face the hard truth about yourselves, you will have your worst ministry defeat ever. You'll be invaded. You'll be reduced to rubble. You'll be carried off into exile. End of sermon. Now you can see why it was only a few months of ministry before Amos got kicked out. Now Amos says this in the year 762. And to get your bearings, it's always helpful to remember the round number 1,000. That's King David, okay? So David's at 1,000, 762. Exactly 40 years later, one generation later, 
the Assyrians from over here come in, wipe out Israel, exactly as Amos said. Amos is saying, look, the judgment of God is coming, but it's not here yet. I've been sent by God. You don't like my message, but it's actually for your benefit because if you will face into the hard truth and change, that's not going to happen to you. But you've got to wake up. You've got to take seriously what's going inside you. Now, how do we apply Amos' words? Well, you notice he is speaking to nations. And so, first and foremost, we ought to apply it to groups. For, and, and, and group A would be the people of God. Today, we would say the church, the Christian movement. And B would be nation states, whichever one we happen to live in. We'll get to that in a moment. Now, the church. How many times have we seen people turned off from God by the actions of the church? That's painful to accept, friends. We have to face that hard truth about ourselves. Too many leaders abuse power. There isn't a, there's a slowness toward justice in many quarters. Uh, these are things we have to be honest about. And we have a theology that is almost like an overstuffed pillow to go to sleep on. We sing God, you know, amazing grace. God's grace is amazing. And he is also the just judge of all the earth. We say God will never forsake his children. Nobody will discipline them. So uh, we, we just have to learn and lean into something that does not come naturally to any of us, which is facing hard truths about ourselves. That has to become our disposition. And I'll tell you, in my life, it's much easier for me to see the sins of other church traditions than my own other church sizes than my own, other political ways of thinking than my own. I see their flaws so acutely. When you are in that frame of mind, can you learn to stop and go, and I wonder in what ways I'm kind of like that too. I wonder what's going on for me. That's how we get better. We could talk about the same for our nations. Oh man, time is running out. Okay. (laughs) <laughs> let's move, move on. Uh, God speaks to his people. He does it through your conscience. He does it through the Bible. He does it through other people who say the truth, and at first you bristle, and then you realize, you know what, they're right. And we need those people, friends. If we want to stay close to God, we must learn how to face hard truths about ourselves. If we want to not become hypocritical, we have to learn how to face hard truths about ourselves. And if we want to avoid the judgment of God, we must do what Amos helps us do and face hard truths about ourselves. Amen.